Hello and welcome to Exploring Healthcare Interoperability with Ed Hammond and Diego Kaminker. This is our first and pilot episode and let's talk about a little about the podcast and our sponsors and ourselves. So this podcast, uh, your hosts are Ed Hammond and myself, Diego Kaminker, and we will discuss with global leaders on healthcare informatics, their views on evolution, the current status and the future of healthcare interoperability, both in the regions and worldwide. This podcast is sponsored by EMEA Yassi and H7 International and is produced by H7 Argentina. In our podcast, we will select uh, five questions for each of our guests and we will let them talk about it freely. We will not them uh, know in advance the questions and the questions will be selected randomly uh, live. So this has some suspense on it, like a Hitchcock movie. And so we, we can make our guests surprised and we will be surprised too. A little words about our sponsors, the Academy, Uh, it's uh, the letters are I H S I I, Yasi. It's uh, it was formed in 2017 by international leaders who focus on health science informatics, and the academy through the members can advise governmental and non-governmental organizations about the contribution of informatics professionals and the importance of informatics-based knowledge, and provide problem-solving strategies. This academy was established in 2017 through the auspice of IMIA, the International Medical Informatics Association, and as a component of the association. It's similar to other national academies of science. The goal of this academy is to promote the dissemination of knowledge and best practices, foster new ideas, and encourage worldwide collaboration and sharing of expertise and resources. Other sponsor is HSM International, which was founded in 1987 by Ed, Uh, it's a non-profit ANSI accredited standards developing organization dedicated to provide a comprehensive framework and related standards for the exchange, integration, sharing and retrieval of electronic health information. HS7 is supported by more than 1,600 members from over 50 countries, including 500 or more corporate members representing healthcare providers, government stakeholders, payers, vendors and consulting firms. And about HSM Argentina, it was founded in the year 1999, it's one of the oldest HSM affiliates and works a lot in education and created both the HSM and Fire Fundamentals courses, educating people in our standards worldwide since 2008. We reached about to uh, 7,000 students, giving them first tools to confront healthcare interoperability projects. Our courses are taught in English and Spanish with a network of more than 20 tutors worldwide and have been translated to Japanese and Portuguese too. Now a little about our hosts. Uh, are you still with me, Ed? Uh, are you sleeping? No. Yep. <laughs> yes, I'm still with you. Perfect. So uh, about myself, I'm uh, an HSV International Nanyasi Fellow, and I have defined, implemented, and maintained hundreds of healthcare interoperability projects using major HSV standards, B2X, CDA, and FIRE, and I'm currently one of the affiliate directors in the HSV International Board, And my friend Ed is Chair Emeritus and founder of HS7 International, Chair of the Standards Panel of IMIA Yassi and creator of the original HS7 Messaging Standard. And in this first episode, I will have the honor of talking about these subjects with Ed himself. And we will have more guests in 
next episodes, but this time it's Ed's turn to answer the questions. So the, the first question, uh, I will make always this the first question, I will not do it randomly. And the question is, uh, how did you become involved in healthcare interoperability standards, maybe in healthcare information, uh, and what was your drive? So Ed, it's your turn. So I got started in, in standards before I knew that there were things called standards. I developed one of the first electronic health records starting in 1969. And one of the things that I wanted to do is to put all of the data about a patient into a single record. And so I needed to add the lab data to the clinical data and the encounter data that I was collecting in the, in the clinic that I was working in. And initially, the laboratory system was totally separate from the electronic health record system. And so I had someone looking at data on a terminal connected to the lab system and, and looking, uh, typing in that data into the electronic health record on another terminal. The error rate, not surprisingly, was very high. Many of those errors were simply the decimal point or something of that nature. But uh, the error rate was a little over 20%. Plus, it took a lot of time and delay in doing it. And so I decided that we needed some way of automatically connecting the two systems together. And the first thing that happened is at Duke, relatively small compared to many other institutions, there were over 60 different places that created lab data. And so I immediately decided I need to get a system that all of the different sites could use therefore the beginning of the standard. And so even before the creation of HL7, uh, I was was creating with others a standard to move the data. All the I sites were, were using the same uh, uh, the same system, these lab sites, or they no, used different No, all the systems. laptops were different. Uh-huh. All the laptops were different. And that that's what made the challenge. And so we basically made... What ultimately became a, 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 a predecessor of, of, of V2, and, and you also need to remember at that time we were working at at 10 uh, characters per second, 110 baud, and and eventually got to 300 baud. So every character had a price to pay that you were sending, and I was a strong advocate of not using tag data. Let me just make one thing clear, though. You give me credit. Many people give me credit for the creation of HL7. It was a group of people, and uh, a number of, of, of us got together in 1987 who had similar problems. We had already created our own standard, and it was different than what version 2, but it had a strong influence on version 2. And so any character costs you money, and that's why we use positionally defined delimiters to have the format. But, but the you syntax. think that at that time there was no other, there was other options? Like, like no, there was no XML. No. It, it was the only thing that existed. It's not that you just uh, SGML came shortly after we had created the standards. And there were two groups, actually, that, that wanted to create a standard at the same time. One coming out of IEEE and the group of us that spontaneously created what became known as, as HL7. The IEEE people, as engineers, not surprisingly, wanted to create a standard based on a model and wanted to have tag data elements. And, it, and, and the length of time it took them to do that was surpassed by the speed with which the group that created HL7 were able to create the standard. 
and and it was it was driven by the people. The difference between version two, I think, and fire is the people that did version two were the were the people that conceived of the standard. They understood what the standard needed to include. They were the implementers of the standard and ultimately the users of the standard. So all of that was 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 one one set of people made it a lot easier for communication and move it very rapidly. And how many hospitals were was that, or how many vendors? Well, at the very beginning, uh, it was the University Hospital of Pennsylvania. And this is one of the first places that was the first meeting was held at UFA, and the first chair of HL7 uh, came from from that 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 university hospital. The, at the very beginning, there were very very few hospitals that were implementing this system. And, and, and very few vendors that were supporting this system. And one of the first things that we had to do with an HL7 was to convince the vendor community that this was the thing of the future. It was something you needed to subscribe to and become part of to influence the development of the standard itself. And many of the early years, we had a, a, a group that focused totally on, on recruiting vendors to participate in HL7 and a separate group whose focus was was recruiting uh, providers of care to use HL7. So we were we were spending a lot of time trying to build the organization in the early years. How, how long was that? How many years? It was probably two to three years. It, 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 it was a gradual thing. I mean, it was the kind of thing that as we begin to get more and more people, uh, it began to you know grow exp exponentially. Mike Glickman was one of the persons in charge of uh, some of the recruiting. He did a great job. But one of the clever things we did is HIMSS was just beginning to have its big meeting at the same time. Um, and uh, we had balloons with HL7. And we, we were recruiting exhibitors, vendors primarily, uh, to join HL7 and would give them a balloon to put on their booth. And that actually inspired other people because they beginning to see more and more balloons. And so more and more people joined us as a result of that very simple way of recruitment. That's the growth nice. of HL7 has been slow over the years, uh, but we've had a number of loyal vendors that have done a great job of supporting HL7. And it, 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 it makes a lot of sense because if you can get the standard to be similar to what you're currently doing, It costs you less money to use the standard than if you had to change your system totally. I think that's still true and true with fire. Yeah, that's that's the key of, of I think, the key of HL7 success in, uh, along the, the history of, of our standards. The, the fact that you just need to integrate what you already have, if it's possible, and that's the way to do it. But my, my question was more into what was your drive to get into this? Like... Why healthcare? Well, I was trying to build an EHR, and I needed to get the data from all the sources, and, and I needed to get radiology data, but but images was too difficult at those speeds. So I'm trying to build a complete record about a patient, and for doing that, I had to connect to a lot of different places. One of the first things that we did when we came in an intensive care unit was try to couple the instruments that in the intensive care unit, and HL7 really did not do that appropriately because we worked with IEEE that was doing the, the interface standards to instruments in the ICU, but we built that into our system. So 
the whole purpose, the whole motivation was really the electronic health record and accumulating all the data about a patient. And what about billing? You, you were connected to billing system already or just EHR and labs? Well, I'm sorry, ask me that again. Uh, what about billing? Uh, the, the money, billing? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good question because uh, one of the things that, that I did was made the comment that everything that we did clinically has a charge and everything that has a charge has clinical importance. Mm -hmm. So I did not need a separate record, a separate billing record. I didn't need people to code it. And so what we did was do all the billing out of the clinical data that we stored. We used the metadata dictionary that included the cost of the item. And we also included with that data element, the, uh, the, the ICD-9 codes, the CMT codes, all the codes that we needed for the claims were there. And so at the end of every single day for every outpatient encounter, we dropped the bill. And we had already pre-checked that the data was there. On the inpatient side, we gave the doctors three days to put to finish off the the inpatient stay. They screamed at us, and uh, if they didn't do it, they had to do it as an added charge. So it was more effort not to comply. But the rules But were simpler at that time. The rules for billing were simpler than they are now. So, the, because I think that during the years, more regulations and more. Uh, nuisance about how to bill or, or, or code some stuff will change that or you think the, the same principles apply? I think the same principle applies. In fact, I'm still preaching that sermon that you really just need to, to, to use the clinical data. And, uh, you know, we, we even built some of the pre-authorization into the system itself so that we knew when a, we predicted when a patient, this is back in the 70s and in, in, in early 80s that we were doing this. We're predicting what, what might be pre-authorized, they require a pre-authorization, and got it before the patient came into the system. But we moved the accounts receivable ahead by 45 to 60 days just by dropping the claims on a standard pattern and by making sure the claims were correct. And all that's the data great. was there yeah. that was required. Yeah, that's, that's something we all, all want to do. <laughs> it, I agree. It's, it's, it's a long time to wish for something not to have it fully happening. Yeah. So let's move to the next question. Uh, for the next question, I don't know which one yet, so I will use my Wheel of Fortune. I have a Wheel of Fortune here. I will Good. I will do the like the one we have in Ferris or in the casino. So I will make it spin. It's question number 10. Let's see what you have. Number 10. Uh, how can we relate uh, healthcare information standards with day-to-day -day care providers? Do we need to, or it's just plumbing? It's just something they don't see. Tell us what you think and what you are doing about it. So uh, I, I, uh, I like that question, actually. If I were picking it, that'd be one I would pick, because I think this is one of the things that's changing. For much of my career, the day-to-day -day providers have really been passive and, and not only to other people to a technical person like me but to themselves as to what they really would like to have but I think with with what's happening now driven largely by COVID and, and, a, and a recognition of the importance of data for making decisions coupled with the fact that now we understand that uh, the social determinants of health have more to do with the health 
index of the quality of life of people in clinical data have recognized the importance of data in terms of making decisions. Your affordability for medicines, for example, ought to have an impact on what medicines you prescribe. So all of those factors come into play. And I think now with, with such huge amounts of data, the doctors need ways of picking the data they need, the needle out of the haystack. And to do that really requires some standards to extract the data. So I think instead of pushing, instead of telling the provider everything that you know, which is huge and now impossible to use, what we need to do is to use a query-based system in which we pull the data out of the electronic health record. And But do you, think, you think that they should be able to personally choose what to extract or what to pull from the records, depending on their... Yes. their Uh, wishes and it goes or, or back, needs. It goes, yeah, it goes back to my early days in which we created a paper, actually printout of data from the electronic health record system. And we had a set of standardized elements that we showed on the encounter. Plus each clinician could say, these are the parameters that I want, I want to see. So they could dynamically say, this is the data element I want to follow on this particular patient. And every time there was a printout of an encounter, a prior encounter, that data element will show. Like a and subscription, again, like a subscription so in, in Fire, the, the the ability to say the server, okay, if you yes. if you see something yes. like this, please let me know. Yes, yes, I do, and 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 I don't know how how easily that's going to be to convince HL7 to do that. But when you understand that, for clinicians, need to know everything they want to know about the patient. And that may not be a, a lot of data in bulk, but it may be a lot of data in the variety of data that I want to see. And when you look at the number of data elements, potentially, that someone would record on the care of an individual, it's hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. And so how do you manage a hundred thousand, I think is one of the challenges that we uh, have. And what do you think about IPS then, the International Patient Summary, because that's a standardized way to extract data you don't you don't have to choose which data it's just that that information that the community decided to have that's a good another question i think and i was i was part of the of, you know at the very beginning I, i was one of the people that argued you needed to send exactly what you need to send for the reasons that you need to send it and no more I think IPS should never be dumping the whole EHR. If mm -hmm. it is, it becomes useless. No, it's not. It it's really not. It's, it's really not. I don't always thought that. And so, so, so what do you want to know? I want to know what meds a patient is on. I want to know what allergies they have. And probably want to know what diagnosis they have. Almost anything else is probably as easy to get it from the patient. So it, so it has, it's not a lot of data. It's, it's, it's a bite-sized amount of data I need to correctly make decisions about the patient. And you think you are getting day-to-day uh, -day care providers to participate in our efforts to know I what think, they want? Yes. Before before COVID, the doctors were not interested in talking, were not interested in change. After COVID and recognizing what's really happened, not only with the huge amounts of data that we're bringing in, and again, this is all the new data types and everything else I think is part of that. I think the doctors at Duke are now we're now talking to them and, and they 
know what they want. I mean, I've talked to the people in psychiatry, for example, mental health is becoming a, a, a strong focus now. It's been an ignored diagnosis. It's really diagnosis. a strong focus elsewhere. I, I, I seeing a lot of, of interest in mental health standards for exchange too. And the doctors say, if I go to Epic, and even if I could ever find the data I'm looking for within Epic, I don't know what it means. They want, and, and so what I'm arguing now, it's a change from how I used to say, but I think what we need now is to, by specialty, we need to focus the data to the people, to the to the specialty of the person that, that that's using the, the, the data itself. So we need to be able to put it in a language they use and understand. And these may be synonyms of a broader term, but it, but they need to have the choice of, of, of using words that they use when they talk to another fellow clinician in the practice of medicine. So, so we need to have that accommodation to the, to the, to the way that the particular provider thinks about a patient. Okay, let's move to the, the next uh, question. Uh, I will All right. get my... Um, it's 11. Uh, this is uh, difficult. It, it, is it possible to have exchange standards without care and record standards? Which is your vision? How did you implement your vision in real life? But it's not clear to me exactly what that 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 standard means because you know I think we exchange standards for lots of reasons. We 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 exchange the, the standards are used for research, in which case I may be building a registry across multiple sites. Yeah, but, my, my but question clearly, is my question is about uh, everyone recording the same because one of the claims is that everyone in a certain okay. community should record the same and the same specialty should record about the same thing about the patient or, or the treatment okay. and i'm not sure that it, this is true so I, i'm i'm asking the academy <laughs> i want okay. to know the, the position I, of each, each i love other. that i love it i love that question because my answer to that question is yes yes everybody should record the same data the same way but they should not be constrained by doing that which means we need to accommodate every piece of data. Back to my other comment, we need to record anything everybody wants to say. But if we're putting data together, and I think now we understand the necessity of putting data together across multiple sites, then it ought to be the same data and it ought to be represented in the same way. And and you can have, you can have synonyms. And, you know, I think localization of data, first of all, my experience has been is people collect data sometime, but nobody can tell me why. And why are you, what are you going to do with that piece of data? Tell me why you're collecting it. And the answer is, I don't know. It's just something we were told to collect. I mean, there needs to be a full understanding of how the data is going to be used. And if it's important, you have no choice but to collect the data. Yeah, I've seen some systems that require, for instance, four different diagnoses to record some studies. Like, you need to tell... But sometimes when I asked, it was, it's just regulation. We are forced to do it. If, if, they, if we don't do yeah. this, they will not pay for it. But And that's the usual answer. Yeah. That's the wrong answer. And it's wrong, but it's, it's what wrong happens. Requirement. Wrong yeah. requirement. Yeah. Yeah. Regulation should not define healthcare, but they should enhance 
healthcare. At least not uh, financial regulations. Well, that's for sure. And, and you know, my, my, my joke statement is that at one time, now a couple of decades ago, uh, CMS, Medicare, Medicaid decided that they would not pay, pay for a, a diagnosis of depression. So if you had a, a, a primary care visit and, and that your diagnosis was depression, it wouldn't be covered. And so the doctors quit using depression as a diagnosis. They did the same thing they did the whole time. And my joke was CMS can cure a disease just by not paying for it. It disappears from the record. <laughs> so you can you, you, you get the point of, of regulation should should be after the fact, not before the fact. It's it's very interesting. It's uh, like how to erase a disease from the, the earth. It's just don't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move, let's move to the next one. Um, I think that my wheel of fortune is always giving the same number. <laughs> <laughs> And you're adding one to it. <laughs> no, it changed. It changed. It's number two now. And two is... Oh, this is... This will be very long. <laughs> Tell us about the use of uh, standards in your country or region. A little or much about the origins and also any fundamental success or failure. In, in this case, I would like you to talk about failure. Well, it, it's interesting because early in my academic career, uh, I was told by a prominent individual in informatics that I should not be doing standards because it was blue-collar work. And by blue-collar work, it meant that uh, that these are the people that, that do the everyday work. I wouldn't get academic credit. I couldn't get promoted if I did with standards. And and I never I never viewed standards as a primary reason for my doing things in this area. I did standards because I couldn't do what I wanted to do without standards. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think this country now is beginning to understand that. You know, the silver lining of COVID has really told us how difficult it is to aggregate data across multiple sites. And part of that is we call things differently. Part of that is we don't collect the same data. And part of that is the recognition. For example, if I'm looking at the impact of COVID on race and one group only collects two races and one group collects five races, I can't put that data together in any meaningful way. And I think we are beginning to understand that rare diseases, there are a number of drivers for this, even mental health, other factors like that. We need to collect the same data the same way and then share it together. And you cannot do that without standards. And, and fortunately for HL7 and for the world of standards, the United States government at least has really begun to recognize the importance of standards. ONC has been a leader in that field, but CMS, the FDA, Uh, CDC, NIH, all of the government agencies now are really beginning to push the use of standards. I think that it's a different, it's a, even at Duke, finally, Duke is beginning to recognize the value of standards. After how many, after how many years? Well, it's now been close to 60. <laughs> It was about They're time. They're me now because I've been trying to solve these problems for 60 years and still I'm trying to solve these problems. But they now are recognizing, the groups are now recognizing that specialty groups should not be isolated. A patient 
doesn't have just one disease with one specialty. They all fit together and they all relate to each other. And so an encounter might involve an endocrinologist, a cardiologist, a primary care doctor. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. And they need to work together to do that. They need to, they need to be able to understand what the other person is doing and maybe even sharing the encounter itself with the patient in one place and they're zooming in or something to the patient and contributing to the documentation of that encounter. That's part of my image for the future is, is multiple documentation, multiple visits with multiple doctors. And, and now the challenge is to make a business practice for that. Yeah, how it's very difficult it? because that's how the EHRs are uh, are thought. So it's it's changing that paradigm will be something very interesting to see. Well, Don Quixote tilted did a lot of windmills. <laughs> okay, let's go to our uh, fourth question, I think. It's number nine. Uh, can you see any way that uh, low and medium uh, income countries can participate in the development and also make better use of uh, healthcare information standards? Well, again, this is this, this is something that uh, that I've been interested in probably for at least four decades, uh, and my answer is yes. But what is it led me to understand? is standards almost require or some degree of organization because there has to be a sender and a receiver and understand how to use what you're get. And and what works in a, in a what I call a developed country is a different need. We need to understand what the requirements are of a developing country to, to do what we need to do, but it requires standards to make it happen. They may be different standards. They may be different use of those standards. And, and they and, and what we focus on are probably going to be different. So it's 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 more than just moving the data. It requires the proper environment in mm -hmm. which to implement the standards. So I think the answer is yes, but I think we have to approach it differently than we approached it in some of the developed countries. Okay, and I think we have two more questions to go. I the the last question I will uh, give you free time to tell us uh, whatever you want about uh, healthcare informatics and, and, and standards, but uh, for this one, I will again use my Wheel of Fortune. Well, you hear Wheel of Fortune, can't count very well. I think this is like the eighth question. <laughs> Maybe. But I love it. <laughs> I, ca I can be all, all the time doing this. Well, I need you, I need, we need to get you to talk talk to me a lot more too because I you have great ideas and, and, and I really have learned to respect we, we can we can we can do uh, another episode with me as the person so, so let, let me let me cheat make one comment Diego yeah uh, for me standards is, is required me to work a great deal and and you've been a, a fantastic educator and and I've taken some of the courses that you've been responsible for And I have never worked as hard as my life in my life. You know, one of the, the the fire is fast and easy to learn and everything else. That's not necessarily untrue, but I've had to work a great deal and 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 to stay active in informatics as well as in creating standards. I've had to continually learn new things, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's, it's a beautiful way of not getting old is trying to do new things with new people. 
And I think informatic effectively covers the globe. There's very few things in the world that doesn't have an informatics component. And now we're worrying about genomics, we're worrying about social determinants of health, we're worrying about reimbursement, we're worrying about clinical care, all of those kinds of things in aggregation of data. Uh, digital health is the magic word now on the horizon. And understanding what that means and how to keep us from separating people into different groups because they can't accommodate digital health, I think is a challenge of the future. But it's continuous learning. And, uh, and, and the courses that you are teaching and just getting ready to start a new one have been unbelievably important to me in understanding more about the standard. You can talk about the standard at a high level, and I do that. But when I talk about it at an executable level, it requires me to work pretty hard. It's different. It's, uh, it's uh, just a, uh, a different mindset to actually go and do it and make it work. And that's what we want yeah. to transmit in our courses, that you have to, to, to work hard to, to, do, to yeah. make this work. Okay, in our next chapter, uh, we will uh, maybe have our friends from Brazil or Germany, we don't know yet. And I think that's it. Uh, if you want to okay. add something, I, Ed, uh, you can... Yeah, shall I make contact with the people from Germany and see if they're willing? If not, we'll drop back to Beatrice. Perfect. Okay, I'll do that. So right, I see you. I see you in the in the next episode of this uh, podcast. Okay. And enjoy the rest of your day. Ed. Thank and you I'm very much. I'm hoping this got recorded. Yeah, you can just Thank stop you. now. Bye.